We are finishing up a series that we have titled The Good News, and we've gone chapter by chapter through the book of Romans. And so today we are ending this series. So if you want to turn with me to Romans 16, we're going to finish it up today, finish up this uh, this incredible letter. I hope that you've enjoyed it. I feel like, man, it's been so good just uh, getting ready every week and prepping for this series has been transformational for me. And so Romans 16, if you read ahead, maybe you did, maybe you didn't, um, it's okay. But it's one of those chapters in the Bible where it'd be really easy just to move on. If you're looking through it right now, you see it probably says personal greetings at the top of that chapter, if your Bible has subheadings or greetings. or um, And so in the last chapter of the book of Romans, uh, Paul does this with every one of his letters. He greets and he thanks those who've helped him. And in the book of Romans, this is actually the longest greeting that he gives. And, and the reason why I wanted to end with this one chapter was because when we look at people like Paul, who was a man of great faith, who wrote a third of the New Testament, who we know that he was, he was a survivor, y'all. He was courageous. He had been shipwrecked. He had been bitten by a snake. It shook it off in a fire. Like this was a, this was a man who had been beaten. He had been ridiculed. He got beaten in one city. They drug him outside of the city. He got back up and walked back in the city again. Continued to preach to God. This was a tough man who was a leader, who did incredible things. God did incredible things through him. And when we see people like that, really gifted people, how many of you would say that Paul had a gift? When we see really gifted people like that, it's easy to think that they did it all on their own. When, I mean, we're in football season right now, right? It's, it's really easy to look at really gifted quarterbacks or certain positions within a team and think, well, he's carrying the whole thing. But the reality is it's the opposite. Paul was able to do what Paul was able to do because he had an incredible team around him. And I know this morning we have leaders, we have business owners, we have other pastors here this morning that pastor other churches, we have people that lead ministries, there's people in here that do incredible things, like mothers and fathers, that lead families and lead big things. And what Romans 16 reminds me is that there's no such thing as a self-made person, no such thing. And you can look at gifted people and, and especially incredibly gifted people like Paul and think, well, he, he, he's, he's doing it all on his own, but he lets us know there's 20, over 20 people, 26 people that Paul lists in Romans 16. Paul lists 26 people. And what I love about that is it reminds me that really nothing great in this life is accomplished without a great team. Paul could have just ended the letter. I think he could have, you know, he said what he needed to say in 15 chapters, but instead, in every one of his letters, there's a theme. He thanks those that were able to help them. And I want you to see this because these names that we're going to go through a few, you probably have no idea who they are. Not a clue, unless you have a Bible degree or something. Like Pastor Jared up here with it. Yeah. But, but most of these folks are not going to, you're not going to know who they are. But I want you to hear this. Heaven knows their name this morning. If it wasn't for these 26 people, Paul couldn't do what only Paul could do. 
As a leader, sometimes you got to define what your mission is within an organization by answering that question. Only do what only you can do. Paul was a great writer. Paul needed to write. He wrote in prison some. He wrote at people's houses. He wrote in home churches. But it was these people that allowed Paul to do what only he could do. And we probably don't know any of them, but heaven does. And I want you to hear that from my heart, that this morning, when you, if you, you're, you came to church today, and I'm so glad that you did, but, but there is a team of people who make what Upper Room Church does every week possible. And a lot of them you may never get to meet. A lot of them you may never see. They're serving behind the scenes. They're cleaning bathrooms. They're vacuuming. They're making coffee. They're putting out signs. They're working with our kids right now and investing in the next generation. And I want you to know that what they do matters just as much as everything that happens up here, if not even more. Because if it wasn't for the team behind the team, right? If it wasn't for the team behind Paul, we wouldn't have this letter. We wouldn't have the book of Philippians. We wouldn't have Ephesians. We wouldn't have 1st and 2nd Corinthians or Galatians. A third of the New Testament was written by this one man because of the team that we're about to look at. And before I read the first verse, I just want to give you a little snap, like snip, snippet, snapshot of the, of the diversity of this team. 26 people, nine of them are women. Incredible. Nine of them were women. The first person he mentions is Phoebe. Some are slaves and former slaves. There's pastors. There's public officials, mothers, friends. There's influential people. There's famous people. There's, there's married people. There's people from Europe, Europe and Asia and people from Africa. And what's beautiful is you've got this diverse team that had one mission. That was to further the gospel. That was to get the good news out to as many people as they could. And what I love about this list is the first person on the list is Phoebe. She was a woman. And in that day, that was, in that culture, it was, it was very rare for a woman to be in any kind of leadership position. But not only did Paul mention her first, Paul gives her a letter of recommendation in the first three verses, and history tells us that Phoebe took the letter. Paul didn't write it either in the book of Romans. He gave the inspiration. Someone else wrote the words for him. He trusted Phoebe to take the letter to the churches in Rome and read it on his behalf. So that's how critical, and that's I love this list because there's a lot of talk about that right now in the organized religion. You know, what's the, what's, what, what is the female's role in leadership and what is the woman's role in leadership? And to me, Paul answers that question right here in Romans 16.1 through a woman named Phoebe, that they were a critical part of the New Testament church and they still are a critical part of the church. And so it's this diverse team. And it was, it was really neat is, is how each person, and Paul lists like different things that he likes about each person. He lists some of the memories he's ha- he has with each person. But I've heard it said that if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go with a team. And you can have big dreams in life, but it doesn't really matter how big your dream is. Your dream is only possible, as possible as the team that you have around it. It's called the the law of Mount Everest. 
320 people have died trying to get to the top of Mount Everest. And in the first few attempts, they, they realize that right out of the gate, the higher that you go on that mountain, the more people that you need. And it's the same way in life. Whatever it is that you do every day, when, when God is getting ready to do great things through your life or your organization or your ministry or your church, he's going to do that through the people that he surrounds you with. I mean, you can get halfway up Everest by yourself or maybe with one other people or one other person or a few people. But if you want to make it to the very top, it takes a, a team of people. It takes, it takes a, a diverse team that knows how to navigate, that's cooking meals, that's bringing gear. Like, like it, it's, it's fascinating to me. And I think the same principle works in the kingdom of God, that, that as the challenge escalates, the need for teamwork elevates. That's why the enemy fights the unity within the church so much. That's why an organization can completely implode from, from when people don't get along. We're seeing it right now in the news, chat GPT. Did y'all see that? Guy that started chat GPT, the board voted him out. And then all the workers said, we're protesting. Unless you vote the whole board out and bring him back, we're leaving. And if you want to take down an organization, you don't have to do anything externally. You just got to get everybody inside fighting. Paul calls it biting and devouring one another. And you've seen it. I'm sure you've worked at places where there, there, there's the water cooler conversation and we're talking about everybody in leadership and how, you know, how bad the company is and how the boss don't know what he's doing. And, and, and it's that kind of stuff that breaks down a team. And so I think there's four things that we see in, in Romans 16 that Paul lists that I want to call it, is, it builds a transformational team. There's four key things. Romans 16, if you're, if you're following along, verse 1, I commend to you our sister. Now, Phoebe was not Paul's sister, but he calls her a sister. Our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful for them. Right out of the gate, verse one, Phoebe, he calls a sister. Priscilla and Aquila, the way he describes them is he says, these people I trust so much that they, they literally laid their life down for me. And the first dynamic and the most important dynamic in any team is trust. It's trust. When you lose trust within a team, what begins to happen is we're no longer on mission anymore. Now I'm worried about the person next to me. I'm worried about the person behind me. Are they for me or are they against me? I'm, 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 fighting, I'm fighting the team more than I'm, than, I'm, than I'm trying putting energy into the mission that we have in front of us. Now, this is not only with teams, this is with relationships. You want to watch a relationship break down? Break trust. It's the glue that holds together every relationship, and it's the glue that holds together every team. And that's the, that was the first attack of the enemy, and I want to go back to Genesis. And if you look at when, 
You know the enemy is fighting your relationship with God when he tries to convince you to stop trusting him. If you look at what he did in the garden, he slid in there and he started having conversations with Eve saying, hey, did God really say that? I think God's holding out on you. Really what the snake was doing was saying, you can't trust God. He's holding back good stuff from you. And, and if you eat of this tree, it, all, your, all your problems are going to be solved. He was eroding at the trust of Adam and Eve and their trust towards God. And so that's the first thing when we come to God that we have to believe that he's, that he's trustworthy. But when we sing songs about surrendering our life and giving our life to God, it's, it's all built on the foundation that I can trust my life to him. I can trust him with leading my life. I can trust him with leading my family. I can trust him with leading whatever organization God has called you to start or to lead, that, that God is, is, is trustworthy. And when we lose that on a team, we lose everything. And so how do I find trustworthy people, right? Because I'm sure everybody in here has a story. And I think that you don't get what you want, you get what you are, if I want to attract trustworthy people, I need to be a, tr a trustworthy person. If I want to attract and, 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 and model great trust on a team, I need to live it out in my own life. Now, this is not in your notes, but I want to give it to you really quickly. How, how do I build trust within a team? First thing is I'm consistent. I'm consistent. Like when I show up at work, people aren't like taking bets. Is it, is it Jekyll or Hyde? We don't know today. Are they going to be happy or are they going to be sad? Are they going to come in like Tigger, ready to go? Or are they going to come in like Eeyore with a cloud over their head? Are you hearing me? It's just being consistent, like just, just saying and doing, just lining those two things up. Do what you say kind of thing. And consistency over time builds trust. You cannot trust an inconsistent person. You cannot trust a person, and I, we all have good days, and we all have bad days, and I'm not saying that it's, it's okay to have good days and bad days, but when it's like this, Monday through Friday, like we don't know how, you know, I don't know if I should avoid Johnny today, or if Johnny's going to be giving out lunch money, I, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, like we don't know, be consistent, be consistent, Luke 16 verse 10, whoever can be trusted with a little bit can be trusted with a lot. Characters built over time. So when I'm consistent, I build trust. Second thing, how do, how do I become a trustworthy person? Being confidential. Being confidential. That means when you tell me something, it stays with me. I don't have to pre, I don't have to like intro the conversation with that. Hey, please, listen, I, I, please don't share this with everybody or share this with anyone. Like, you just assume, I'm not going to repeat this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm a confident, I'm a confidential person. Proverbs 11, verse 13. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. What's a gossip? It's when you're sharing information and, and you're not part of the problem or the solution. You're just transferring it. Did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, yeah. I heard about so-and-so. Like, like, like you're talking about a conversation between party A and B, and you have nothing to do with party A or B. I'm just passing it along. Mm -mm. 
I want to build trust. I want to be in confidence. One of the things that I, I do is if anybody tells me anything, I assume it's all in confidence, period. If you stop me outside and you share something with me, I am not going to share it with anyone. Now, if you tell me to, sure. But confidence, I can trust this person. I know that what I share with them is safe with them, and they're not going to pass it along. Consistency, confidence, and I think the third thing, how we build trust is we just get close to people. When we look at this list, Paul had a specific thing for every person. He said, this person went to prison with me. This person laid their life down for me. This person is trustworthy. They, they were, they've been in the faith longer than me. And what I'm seeing in Romans 16 is that Paul is not writing from, from the top office suite of, a, of, a, of an office building where he's removed from what everybody in his organization is feeling and facing. He knew each one of these pers- people personally. And what blows my mind is he'd never even been to Rome. He's writing this from, he's writing a letter from another city to a church he's never been in, in a city that he's never been in, but he knew people in that city. I build trust on a team when I get close to the people that I'm serving with. Proximity creates passion. I can feel for someone when I'm close to them, when I know what they're going through, when, when, when they're sharing with me what, what's happening in their life. Distance creates distortion, breaks up a team, getting close, getting close. So trust, number one, I think, is, is, is the most important. And then the second thing that's, that's critical on a transformational team, and we see it in, in, in the way that Paul ends his letter is every single person that Paul lists, he gives an attribute of that person. He's like, man, this, these folks are hard workers. The, these folks can be trusted. These folks are courageous. Um, he, he's, he's giving something about each and every person, again, because he knows who they are. And, and, and one of the things that he tells us to do, I'm going to read the verse first. In Romans 12, is, is, and he's given us an insight on how to build a healthy team. He says, I want you to rejoice with those who rejoice, and I want you to weep with those who weep. What does a transformational team look like? Well, it looks like there's, there's a lot of trust. They're high in trust, and they're empathetic with one another. There's empathy. We're, we're going through this together. See, sympathy is, hey, I heard you're going, I heard you're sick, I'm sorry. You know, and that's cool. But, but, but empathy is, I, I heard you're sick, it, it's, I feel it with you. I'm, 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 I'm praying for you. I, I know what it, I was sick last week. I know what it's like to be sick and down and out. I'm, I'm feeling this with you. It comes out in Paul's, in his last few verses of this book. You can, you can sense and tell that there's a great amount of empathy to those that are on his team. There's empathy. They're, 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 they're grateful. They're thankful to be just a part of what Paul is doing. And what I have found on the teams that I've served on and the teams that I've been a part of is what breaks down a team more than anything is entitlement. What is the culture of a healthy team? If it's a church team, if it's a business team, if it's a real estate team, whatever. What is, what is the, the culture of a healthy team? We're entitled to nothing and everything is a blessing. 
When you get entitlement, starts to creep in on a team, it begins to erode a team. But when you have a, a, a team that's, that's empathetic with one another, that, that this is the third one, that appreciates each other, there's appreciation. It's, it's not, man, I, I have to go in and, and, and deal with this person today or, you know, I, I, I'm, doing, I'm doing X and Y, but I really feel like I should be doing Z. No, it's, it's just I'm just glad to be here. I'm glad to be a part of what's happening here. I, I'm, I know that you know, entitlement begins to erode a, a healthy team, but when I'm grateful, when I appreciate those that are on the team with me, 20-something times Paul says, greet, 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 greet. And I want you to see what that, that word really means. It, he, he describes it a little bit with, with uh, greet your brethren with a, with a holy kiss. Now, I don't want you to go around kissing everybody after church. But what he's saying is truly appreciate the people that are serving around you. Like, 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 like demonstrate it. Do the people that are in your life that are helping you or have helped you know that you appreciate them? This week, I just took out my journal and I wrote down, just started writing the people that have helped me do this. Because I didn't want to do, I didn't want to pastor. I didn't want to do anything within a church, really. I just wanted to go. <laughs> and, 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 and that's what I felt like I was supposed to, to do. But then I felt like God started sending people into my life saying, no, I think you need to do this. You need to go this way. Now, and, I, and this is, I want to give you homework over this week. I know there's a lot of like Thanksgiving things that we can do. We have a Thanksgiving tree in our house and we write down things that we're thankful for, and we've got this cool tree, and there's all kinds of cool ways, but this is what I want you to do, and I did it this week, and I stopped at like 78 people that have helped me get to where I am today. Now, this is family. This is friends. When I look back over my life, just, you know, I, I was raised Catholic, got out of church for a while, and then got back into church the senior year, my senior year of high school. And when I go all the way back just from that point forward, I mean, I had people give me vehicles when I didn't have a car. I had people, like, let me live in their house for a while. I had people that would just come up to me at church, I'll never forget, that said, hey, God put you on my heart and gave me one of those Pentecostal handshakes. You know what that is? That's, there's money in it. Yeah. <laughs> feel, feel free. I'm still receiving those. <laughs> but I just started writing down these people and I just started to cry. The people that came into my life for a season to encourage me, to say, hey, keep going. Hey, don't give up. Pastors and deacons and elders and, and, and people that I just worshiped with in church, people on, on the job, worked at Pepsi for a while. I don't know if you knew that. But I owe those, a lot of that team so much because they helped me, showed me how to balance a budget, showed me how to lead a meeting, showed me how to do, you know, my, all of these things. I look back, man, oh, I stopped at 77 people. Why don't you do that this week? Look back over your life and start writing down names of people that have helped you. And it may just be a text it may just be, hey, I'm praying for you. Hey, you're, you're, you're doing a great job. Could have been a coach. Could have been a teacher. A lot of those people I wrote down, they're in here right now. 
And that's what Paul's doing here. He's, he's, he's listing the people that helped him. And then at the end of this list, he gives a couple verses on the people that actually, it, it actually started going the other way. They started working against the team. And I'm going to read it because we, we should read this. Verse 17, I urge you, brothers and sisters, watch out for those who cause divisions and they pass on offense. They put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you've learned. He says, keep away from them. Such people are not serving our Lord, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. All right, I'm so glad that the Apostle Paul put that in his letter. Because if you've ever led anything in your life, you've had people like this on your team. Don't raise your hand. People that start working against the mission and the vision. People that, like, what, the way that he describes it is they, he says they start putting obstacles. And the word for that is, is the bait that you put in a trap. It's a fence. They start talking about the leadership. They start talking about this. They start talking about that. They start undermining those that are in charge. Hey, they don't know what they're doing. He's from Milton. He's not very smart. Uh, you know, whatever. Like, like, like he's, he's, they're too young. They're too old. They're, they're too this. They're too that. Paul, and what I love about this is 26 people he thinks, those people he doesn't name them. He just says, watch out. And I don't think he names them because a lot of times it's a spirit. Have you ever had somebody so offended by something that happened that they just had to share it with you? And they don't know if they can still work here anymore. I don't know if I can be a part of this family anymore. Look at what Uncle Johnny did to me. You're not part of the problem. You're not a part of the solution. And it's hard to, to listen to offense and not take it on as your own. Am I talking to anybody? And Paul writes about this in detail. He writes about it in 1 Timothy. He actually lists some names of people that left him. And this is the beauty of it, though. The people that left him in 1 Timothy that he lists end up starting other churches in other cities. And so what I want you to see is that every team, even healthy teams, people leave. And what Paul is trying to say is, don't cry over those who left you and, and, and stop celebrating those who stayed with you. That is what Romans 16, if I could sum it up, he says, you know, people are going to come, people are going to go, uh, seats move around on a team, but don't lose the appreciation and the gratitude for those who are still there. Because oftentimes, it's, it's the, the end of one season is the beginning of a new season, and, and we're, we're, just, we're just trying to do the best that we can to follow and obey what God's called us to do. And that's, a part of that is going to be leaving some teams and joining some teams, but, but what happens is, I think, when, if we stay on a team too long and God is calling us into a new season, things can happen. We can start getting offended. We can start getting upset about little things. Like, but what I like about what Paul does here is he doesn't name these people. He doesn't call them out. He just says, be careful. Because this is what I found when I started writing down that list. I tend to, uh, 
fixate on the people that left. I do that. And that's just my, my thing, and I know that now. I tend to really lose sleep over the people who didn't stay. And I start wondering, well, what, what did I do wrong? We didn't, maybe we didn't have enough, you know, team meetings. Maybe we, I didn't appreciate people. You know, like I start getting in my mind and I start getting internal. But what, what I think we find here and what Paul is saying is if you look hard enough, you're going to find 10 to 1 the people that stayed to the people that left. And a lot of times the enemy will try to use that to fixate our minds on the people that are just, you know, that are leaving and, and to keep us from appreciating those that are still there. Sometimes we just got to get the gift of goodbye, amen? <laughs> and you can learn a good lesson from a bad experience. You can learn a good lesson. God can use anything, the people that stay and the people that go. The, the people that, that see the vision and the people that don't, it's okay. At the end of the day, God's going to sort it all out. Now, here, here's the last thing. We're going we're gonna to pray uh, last few verses, last, last verses of the last chapter of Romans. And we can come play the piano so, the, so we can, they think I'm, I'm closing. I'm just kidding. I really am. Um, <laughs> verses 25. And I like the way Eugene Peterson phrases this in the message translation, so I'm going to read it out of that. The last two verses of the last chapter. All of our praise rises to the one who is strong enough to make you strong. Exactly as preached in Jesus Christ, precisely as revealed in the mystery kept for so long, but now an open book through the prophetic scriptures. Here's the mission. All the nations of the world can now know the truth and be brought into obedient belief, carrying out the orders of God who got all this started down to the final detail. All of our praise is focused through Jesus on this incomparably wise God. So how does he end this? And this is the fourth part, I believe, of a transformational team is that everybody's on mission. Everybody's on mission. We have trust, we have empathy, we have appreciation, but at the end of the day, we're on mission. We know that I'm a, I'm a part of something that's bigger than me. Paul wrote this letter almost 2,000 years ago. And we know at least 26 people helped him. And here we are studying this letter in 2023. It's incredible to me what, what God can do through a team that has a bigger mission than themselves. And, and I love what Eugene Peterson, how he phrases it here in the message. He says, what is the mission? It's to carry out the orders of God. That's your mission. And every single person has different orders. See, Paul used military language a lot in his letters. He would say things like, fight the good fight. He would say things like, put on the armor of God. He, he used the military language. And then here, he's doing that again. He, he's showing us that there's an overall mission of the church, but every person has individual orders. Every, every person, person has a, a, a part to play in this. And a lot of times those orders may not be so much what happens in here. It may be what happens in the office that you are a part of on Monday morning. 
or at school or on the job or wherever team that you're a part of, that's where God, that's, that's, that's where he wants you to show up. And I don't think anything illustrates this more than communion. So I'm going to ask Pastor Jared to come up. And you've got those communion cups right there. If you would go ahead and grab those. And uh, he's going to lead us in, in communion together this morning before we go. Yeah, like Pastor Nathan said, go ahead. Everybody get one of the cups. There should be some in your seats. If not, just raise your hand. We'll have people in the back that will come and bring them to you. And before we take communion together, I just want to address what I think is an elephant in the room. Because one of the beautiful things about our community is we all come from different walks of life. We all come from different experiences in faith and denominations. And with that comes differences in how we have partaken in this experience together. Now, I, for one, am part of a tradition that takes us every single week. And it's very, very important. And there's some people that feel it's very, very important to take it once a quarter. Or some people come down front and take it. In some churches, they pass it out. And so there's lots of different ways of doing communion. But communion is so much more than just the action. It's an experience. It is a drawing near and remembering. Communion isn't just bread and a cup. Communion is our experience with God. On the same level, face to face, with the one who knows us and sees us and loves us. And so if no matter if this is your first time taking communion or this is one of many times, this is something we do together as a church that unifies us in remembering and why we are here. Remembering of why we are who we are is because of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So as we bow our heads, you go ahead and take the bread. And let's go to our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We're thankful for this bread that resembles your body, that when I take of this, I remember that you were a person, that you were born, that you grew up here, that you got sick, that you tripped, fell, and scraped your knees, that you cried with people, that you laughed with people, and ultimately your body was broken, not for yourself, but for us. So Lord, as we take this bread, may we remember that sacrifice as well as our own bodies and how we can honor you with our physical experience as an individual and together as a church can take the bread. You go ahead and get your juice ready. And God, we also pray that you bless this cup that resembles the blood that you poured out for us. 
God, we remember this is that though you are also human, you are also God. And you work wonders through our lives and through the lives of so many that are here with us and that have come before us and that will come after us. The blood that covers us, that we think should stain but washes us anew with new life. And so God, as we take this, may we think of the things that you have done for us. Like we can't see the blood in our bodies right now. Sometimes we can't see what you're doing for us. And so as we take this cup, may we be aware of the work that you're doing in our lives. You can go ahead and take the cup.